Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Content warning, we'll be talking about the atrocities during Hurricane Katrina for the majority of this episode. Someplace underneath. Congratulations to all of us today who have vaginas. You no longer are an entire person. Yay! Does that mean we don't have to do work anymore? No. I mean, well, we've always worked, but... That's true. I guess maybe they're just going to take the paychecks away, too. Oh, of course. Have you seen the tweet from this guy who's like, I became a CEO and I had six kids and all this. And he's like, I did it all. Let me tell you how I did it. And he's like, browser tabs, a to-do list. And people were like, a wife. You had a wife the oh whole time. Oh, my God. Who raised the kids, who made the food, who made sure every baseline was okay for you. And she's not even a footnote in your fucking life story. I had a conversation with my old manager a while ago. It's back when I was bartending. And he was watching the basketball game. And he said... Yeah, he, this basketball player, he's got a divorce and his wife, he owes her half and she didn't make any baskets. It's not fair. And I said, well, she birthed children. She cleaned the house. She made the dinner. She got all the appointments set. His life is set. So all he has to do is make the baskets. And he was just like, oh, and he just got up and walked away. Yeah. Yeah. No con- uh, just no conception of like all the hidden work that's done for you. Yeah, that's perfectly put because that woman's life was almost certainly centered only around the other people. Nothing about her own life. She gave everything of herself away to other people. Yes. Um, So you got to watch out because that woman's going to drown your kids. Yes. Going to drown the kids. Drown the kids. And God help her if she wanted to get a manicure or hair done or something like a spot, something nice. You know, people... They demean those women. They have they have one day a year, okay? One fucking day a year. One Sunday, they get a little card, and I don't know what they're complaining about. God. Also, if I had a wife and I had the money, please go take yourself out. Be as pretty and as nice and as delightful as you want to be. Ew, you like a smiling wife? Gross. <laughs> I wanted to be happy and well taken care of. God help it. God help us all. God's not here. God doesn't care. I have Um, been getting angry at God lately, Natalie. Yeah, I think it's because the people who say they talk and represent God are garbage. I think they were put here by the devil to make us hate God. Or we should just like the devil. Like, uh, (laughs) devil's very feminist, so. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure everybody's feeling kind of not good right now. But just know that we are not going to just take this shit. We will... Dance on these old skeletal monsters' graves. So we will take to the streets if we need to and don't feel alone. Yeah, you're not alone. We posted some resources on our social media. We have a very good friend who runs a really well-established abortion resource website that you can go to if you need help, especially in the states that want you to die. (laughs) So (laughs) speaking of states that want you to die. Yeah, we are actually talking about another party city today like we did last week, but Mm -hmm. not just the city, the state surrounding it. we're, We're going to be talking quite a bit about and it's one that Amber knows quite a bit about. Louisiana, yeah. Yeah. Woo. So I'm specifically today wanting to talk about New Orleans because of what we'll get to that. It is a place of dreams and nightmares. Um, I truly, 
I love New Orleans so much. Oh, yeah, same. Love it. It's one of those places that for those who haven't been there, like myself until recent years, that it gets hyped up all the time, you know, and then it's you always go, oh, it's never going to be good. People yeah. now have said, oh, this is incredible. It's most amazing places. You're like, it's going to be boring. No, it was like a fairy magical land. Oh, yeah. And there's so many other places besides Bourbon Street. In fact, I would say maybe peek at Bourbon Street oh, just to see it. I did. And that and was then it. leave. No, just I leave. left it. I mean, I was like, OK, I get this. I get the 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 street this is yeah. fine but i don't care about this no 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 you want to go see the museums you mm-hmm. want to go see the art the culture the food you want to get some raw oysters ghost tours ghost tours you want to go see the cemeteries yeah. you want to go on the outlying yeah, land yeah yeah you also want to go to places like lafayette you know Ugh. that's fun it's like lafayette's like an artistic town in the woods man it's just so i i want to explore it so much more I've only gotten now a couple times, but that was just in the recent years. I had never been there. Definitely doesn't disappoint. So, Amber, New Orleans was a way more a part of your growing up than obviously me who didn't grow up there. <laughs> what ages were you in that area? I was there from high school and college. I had family there. I'd kind of gone to visit them because I was in Saudi Arabia for seven years. Mm -hmm. And then I was in America and high school and college. I moved to Louisiana. So while it's like I say I'm from Louisiana, really only my formative years are there. Yeah. But I mean, those are the the ones that I think count the the most. They're the big ones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say New Orleans is um, it's its own special place. And then right outside of it is these like swamps and outlayer lands Mm -hmm. where like people will literally squat Mm -hmm. to get the land rights. And then right outside of that are these like dry towns that you don't serve alcohol. It's very fundamentalist Christian. Mm-hmm. They don't go to New Orleans. They consider it the city of sin. And that's kind of where my family lived. Yeah. I would kind of go to New Orleans with my friends. We would kind of escape and be secret. And I I, I would always see it. And I marched in the marching bands. Yeah. All high school there. <laughs> but What were you doing in the marching band? I played clarinet. Oh, that's right. That's right. Because I played the clarinet too in yeah. elementary school. I forgot you were a clarinet We player. should bring it on a Twitch stream i i can't play anymore (laughs) i could try yeah i was not what i would call talented at it i told you oh yeah remember because i the pretty girls got to play flutes at my school and they were like you're more of a clarinet girl oh but clarinet's for pretty girls too i i think so but they didn't and they made sure that i knew that i was not a flute girl okay But okay, so you were in the marching bands. Oh, yeah, the marching bands. But so I have a perception of New Orleans, though I didn't grow up there. I mostly grew up in the very sort of conservative, we don't drink alcohol, the, the buffet's $4 every Sunday. We went to uh-huh. Gerald's, by the way. <laughs> um, the people making the food, they couldn't fit through a door. But boy, oh boy, that fried chicken and those frog legs. Mm. I, I remember you saying something about the first time you went to Thanksgiving with a friend and at their Thanksgiving, they had alcohol and you were blown away by your like, you yeah. guys can drink during dinner? Yeah, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, well, I think that is a, something that's very interesting, but also can cause problems in Louisiana in general is that it's like a place of both extreme hedonism and extreme conservatism. Yes. And both of those things are strongly encouraged and celebrated. And both of them have trappings and pitfalls for women in general. So, yeah, like we had done the Appalachia series partly because of my connection to growing up in Pennsylvania and Pittsburgh. And I kind of wanted to do this partly based on your upbringing because of that and also because it's such a mysterious place and kind of sometimes seems like maybe hell for women and people with vaginas in general. Oh, my God. There was this girl in my high school who was – she was considered loose, you know, and then a football, some, a lot of the guys on the football team did bad things to her. And then she was just yeah. sent away. Yeah. That happened a lot. Like girls, especially they got pregnant. They were sent away, never to be heard from again. Yeah. And that's something that we see a lot in conservative circles, not just in Louisiana. If you really want to get very, very upset and angry, you should listen to the um, Liberty University series on, I think it was gangster capitalism. Put that out. That happened to a lot of women at Liberty University that they would get raped and then it would be by like 
you know, one of the sport men and they would kick her out and keep the dude. Did you see this? And I'm sorry to stray up, but this no, no. girl on uh, social media, she was like, oh, I've been forming these like girl groups at my college. And we're just like on a spreadsheet, letting people know like what frats are dangerous, mm-hmm. what people to avoid or whatever. And, and it got out with the school and she had to go speak to the superintendent or something. Yeah, and, I saw that. And yeah. it's basically because, you know, these guys go to college, not all men that do this go to college, not. but no. The ones with the fat wallets that their daddies pay for. Who shouldn't be in the college probably anyway because they're not smart enough. Absolutely. But they're just like, no, my son should go to parties and have girls at the parties. Mm Because once all the girls know, like, oh, there's a rapist in this frat, they're not going to show up. Right. So they don't. And then their dads get wind of it. And they're like, but my son gets to rape a girl in college. At least one. That's part of the college experience. Yeah. Yeah, I know. that, that, That bitch ruining all their parties. Oh, can't stand it. So, yeah, she's not a bitch. That was sarcasm. So we started out with this series wanting to cover a missing woman whose name is Crystal Journey, who's a 39-year-old woman who is missing from New Orleans, who we will definitely be talking about. But then as we did look into it, the radar just kept expanding and expanding into a bigger picture. And it seems like Louisiana has like a triple or almost quadruple whammy threat level when it comes to the disadvantages for many of its residents. It's not the only state like this, of course, especially many of the surrounding southern states have very similar issues. But I think this unique energy of the land here and the society, you know, draws this kind of particular danger of the conservatism and hedonism intertwining in this strange way. And also, Something that I hadn't thought about when we were starting this, it's also the literal location on the earth where oh, yeah. the land is. Swamps, great way to hide a body. Perfect. Yeah. You just go dump it. Alligators take care of it. Yeah. That's one part of it, for sure. I don't think it's a secret that New Orleans' topographical location makes it both magical and also precarious and kind of fragile. You know, I think it is that very, the nature of it being in that unique landscape makes it very entrancing and cool and, and the swampiness and the low laying land of it is makes it a very unique city. But it, it also has been very historically vulnerable to flooding due to like being right on the water like that, being low in sea level and having poor natural drainage. So it has proximity to a lot of bodies of water. And most people know it was occupied by the French before it became an American land, lending itself to now what we know, you know, is the Cajun language and accent. Amber, you know a lot more about that than me. Oh, it's, you know, New Orleans, What another reason what makes it special is it's a port town. Mm-hmm. So you had the whole world coming in through there. Yeah. I mean, you have influences from, yes, France. Uh, and Spain as Spain, well. Spain, yeah. Haiti, Africa. Mm-hmm. A few years ago, one of the top restaurants in the world was there and it was Iranian. Yeah. So it's just, it's, it's a little amuse-bouche. Yeah, totally. And you get that feeling when you're there. I think the biggest, like, the thing that keeps the people there the most connected is not necessarily a race or a religion or a background. It's that you, you're you part of this weird little, almost like, other world town that you live in. Yeah. It is like you become almost a part of the personality of the town if you live there. At least that's what I've gauged from being there and seeing it. But the French is who have the Cajun stuff. That's the Canadian people, right? The French Canadians who were like sort of shipped down there. Yeah, the Acadians. The Acadians, yeah. I once, they have a musical that's called like, I forget what it's called, but it's basically waiting till marriage to have sex. And there's a song called Worth the Wait. I forget the name of the musical. Please someone write in if you remember it. But the, one of the songs is Worth the Wait. But it's about this Acadian couple that like, this family that comes down from Canada. To <laughs> and it was worth the wait to it fuck was, each other? Yeah, it was worth the wait. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to put in a little protest in there and see. I don't know if it was. (laughs) So before it was occupied by the French and Spain for a time, it was occupied by the Chitimacha tribe. They still do exist by only about a thousand now, but it's estimated that they've occupied that land for over 6000 years. And were the only inhabitants, really, until the early mid 1700s. They actually had their own language isolate, which is a language of its own origin. It didn't come from another wider language. That's how like long they were there and how long they were isolated because they were swamp folks. Mm-hmm. That may not be appealing to everyone, but if you're a swamp folk, it's just right for you. Just right. 
Um, uh, oh, sorry. Oh, I'm looking up a seasoning they have. I continue going. Oh, sorry. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Because they were so accustomed to that terrain, that unique terrain, it served as sort of a natural defense system because they could monitor the only ways in really easily because it was that p- little peninsula. And also they were accustomed to the harshness of the swamplands and a lot of people didn't know how to handle that. So they kind of had their own little patch for a long time. A little thing going on. And it's filet, gumbo filet, which is like ground up leaves in that area. But the, uh, the indigenous people created that. Filet? It thickens up your gumbo, put it in your stews. It's like a spicy thing. I can't Ooh. quite can't wanna, quite describe it. try it. So even after all of these new people started kind of rolling into Louisiana in the 1600s, 1700s, the Chittimacha mostly kept to themselves and weren't really bothered because of their own little unique area, only really having interactions with other tribes who they traded with. Unfortunately, those tribes had, you know, gotten the diseases of the people coming in, the colonists, so they gave them to the Chittimacha. So great. That's how infectious diseases were, kids. So they started to die off pretty badly in the 1900s. They were slaughtered and they had a lot of the the European diseases running through them. And at one point in the uh, early 1900s, there were only 55 of them left. And the kids that were left were forced into Indian schools, if you'll remember from way back in season one. Oh, right. Is that what they call it? They called them, yeah. Okay, because I see it's in quotes. Yes. Yeah. So the name and town of New Orleans was officially founded in 1718 under France. And pretty much immediately they brought in enslaved Africans to help build the city. Oh, another quotes. I see. I see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. By 1724, the large number of black people in Louisiana prompted the institutionalization of laws governing slavery within the colonies. It's not for the benefit of the slaves. These laws required them to be baptized by the Roman Catholic faith and to be married in the church only. And they also were still not given any legal rights, even though they were forced into this religion. So oh, cool. there's, a, there's a lot of, um, um, I don't know quite how to put this, but um, so voodoo isn't a bad religion. Right. It's just not meant for white people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's why it's been demonized in Hollywood Probably. or whatever. Probably. But there's a lot of black people in New Orleans that practice voodoo that just say they're Christian. And that's been going on for a long time. And there's also a huge relationship between black people and the indigenous people. Yeah. Indigenous people helped hide them. And there's so there's now there's this um, these parades in New Orleans called the Black Indians. Mm. And um, I'm not allowed to go because I'm white. And I'm I've always been like, cool, I'm fine with that. But I think it's like a weird New Orleans has a weird thing with segregation with that. Yeah. But also like you go to the grocery, we hang out, you know, we go to a block party. Totally. And I think that that is a way to like reestablish your own humanity within a time when you had no rights that go like, well, this is our space now. Yeah, I'm not going there. No. And someone's like, don't come. I'm like, okay, sure. (laughs) No, I think that that's the very least we could do. (laughs) Um, Literally the very least. So Through both the French and Spanish late 18th century regimes, patriarchal and colonial governments used the term Creole for ethnic French and Spanish born in the New World as opposed to Europe, which is something I didn't know, but you probably did, that that word came from people born into America from these other places. And it's not necessarily attached to a specific race or heritage. That Creole is just anybody who was sort of there born into this new town. So then in 1803... Napoleon gave us our old Louisiana. And woo, we got another state, everybody. And so regardless of who occupied this land over the many millennia, Louisiana is very low lying to the ocean. Being the third lowest elevation state in the U.S., which is one part, but also its most populated city in New Orleans is somewhere around seven feet below sea level. Interestingly, when I looked up these stats, I noticed that the majority of areas that are lower than New Orleans in the U.S., because there's only a few, are all the areas around Joshua Tree. So like Bombay Beach, Coachella, uh, the area where we covered, you know, our poor girl Elle Cho's story. That's where all of the lowest parts of the U.S. are. I thought they were high. I don't know. Mm -mm. I'm so silly, Natalie. Oh, I I would never have known that. Never. Also because they're further up. They're further up in America. That oh, means like they're northern. Hot, but that's like two different things. <laughs> yeah. No, but I get what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
But no, apparently that is the lowest part of the U.S. pretty much. And then it's New Orleans right after that. Huh. So this plays a part into Louisiana's extreme weather. Louisiana is often affected by tropical cyclones and is very vulnerable to strikes by major hurricanes, as we probably know. Oh, yeah. The hurricane drink. You know how that founded? Because your fridge is about to go out and you just take all your punch. A hurricane drink. Oh, wow. It's essentially. That makes sense. Yeah. It's whatever alcohol you have, like the traditional hurricane drink. I know we all like to go to these places on the strip and like get them. But the traditional hurricane drink is whatever alcohol you have yeah. and whatever juice is about to go bad. Wow. You pour it in a bowl and you get drunk. Yeah. Now you have the strap things that you put around look like bongs yeah. now that's what people drink hurricanes out of but yeah yeah that makes sense i have never tried a hurricane but it always looks like a throw up yeah that's throw up thing. in a bottle if you ever go to bourbon street and you get those like hurricanes or those grenade drinks also be careful because they will make you black out mm. they're very very potent and people are around there watching you yeah so they see you order these tall ass big alcoholic drinks and they say, okay, that guy, that guy in the blue sweater. Yeah. We're going to keep an eye out on him. He just got a grenade. And then they're going to follow you and you're going to get drunk. You're going to wander away from your friends for a little adventure. And then right. you're going to wake up behind an alley robbed. Right. And that, you know, best case scenario, just pickpocketed. Yeah. Yeah. You always got to keep your wits about you and stay with the group for sure in New Orleans, even though most of the time you're going to be fine. There are people who are definitely, it's a tourist town. They're going to be looking for, yeah. you know, rubes. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. One of my girlfriends, we were she we were like, come across the street. So she walks across the street and I was like, where is she? It's been a couple minutes. So I go outside and I see a circle of men and they're standing around her demanding her show her show them her breasts. Ugh. Demanding, Ugh. demanding. And those were definitely tourist assholes who showed up. I can guarantee you. Most definitely. But also, I mean, I wouldn't pass put it past some locals, you know. Yeah. To me, I would immediately just go, oh, this is. One of those frats. <laughs> it was a bunch of frat boys. Yeah. You're right. They all had boat shoes on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. 100%. I can imagine it now. So, yeah. So, beyond the hurricane drinks, the <laughs> hurricanes are also there. The real hurricanes. Yeah. And, you know, the unique geography of this location, the many, you know, as bayous, as marshes, the little inlets, can result in so many versions of water damage across the area. Yeah, even the salt water just yeah. the 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 what do you call it? Satin. It deteriorates the the wood. Oh, oh yeah, like the uh oh my god. Satin. You know how <sighs> northern America is erodes, higher, like erodes it? <laughs> yeah, erodes it. They're also the areas prone to thunderstorms frequently, especially in the summer, which is the same with like Florida, all those areas around the Gulf, the whatever pattern. We need to talk to Jackie. She went to school for meteorology and she knows more about cloud coverage. Oh, Jackie. I know. She gets, she, she'll get on a tear and she'll start telling you about all those different clouds. But so, yeah, they get – basically, there's lots of different kinds of water that can get you there. Yeah. And then so other than thunderstorms, Louisiana gets about 27 tornadoes annually. They have a tornado season. It's There's a lot of shit that can get you. So why am I bringing this up? Well, natural disasters bring about disorder and strife and chaos naturally. Natural disasters. Yeah. And with this, unfortunately, comes missing and trafficked people. Missing for one because of literally just disappearing into the bad weather and getting caught, you know, or sadly drowning, getting washed away into the water. You know, there's that form of missing, but it's not the only reason people go missing. Mm. One of the biggest and most notable storms of our lifetime, and certainly for this area, was Hurricane Katrina. In August of 2005. Good old Hurricane Katrina. I remember, I have stories from that. Yeah, I want to talk to you because I was in school in Baltimore during this time. And to be perfectly honest, I had just transferred there. I had just done a big breakup. You know, I was in college. I was selfish. And I remember it 
on the news and being like, oh, no, but I was pretty consumed with my own shit and wasn't really paying that much attention to it. Understandable. You're going through a lot. Just being a selfish kid. But I do, you know, I do recall it seeming extra alarming, though, because there were so many shows interrupted and, you know, them doing like breaking news shit. And that was only four years after 9-11, which is the other one that I always think of with all the shows were interrupted. It was? I know. Isn't that crazy? To me, Katrina doesn't seem that long ago. But 9-11 seems like a thousand years ago. I thought Katrina was before 9-11. You know, again, me, look at me. I thought (laughs) because you're higher up and like Washington State is higher elevation just because it's further up. What am I? I'm a ding dong. (laughs) You're not a ding dong. But it is. Isn't it weird how those were only four years apart? But like, even though you have the the opposite memory, those to me seem like eons apart in time. Yeah. For some reason. But Katrina was a huge deal for those of you who are pretty young at the time. It was really scary. And even for some kid like me way north who didn't know anybody down there. So basically, the storm started east of the U.S. It traveled across Florida. It traveled west, basically, to the tip of Florida, where it was a storm, but it started to calm down when it hit Florida. They weren't really prepared for it to make this jump. So they thought it was going to be a lot lower south, like experts. And so there wasn't a huge amount of time to warn no. the rest of the country that it was coming this way. And if you were on the causeway, I remember there were cars stuck on the causeway. That's a bridge that goes to New Orleans. It's one of the scariest, longest bridges I've ever seen. Because you just over water. Forever. And there's no like, at the time, there was no like tapestry, like protecting you. Yeah. And the mayor just said, get out and run. Just get out and run. Get out of your it was, cars. Yeah, yeah, it was blocked traffic. Yeah. I mean, that that's sort of the, what happened whenever they didn't have a plan in place, really, which no. we're going to talk about. But it basically continued to travel in like almost in a, like a candy cane shape instead of straight across. It went like, loop, like a little dog tail up into Louisiana and Mississippi. And... It picked up exponentially because it went back over the water and the water was what helps it gain momentum. Yeah. So it went from a category three to a category five in just over nine hours. Oh, yeah. My mom woke me up that morning and she was like, pack a bag. You can only carry what you can physically carry. And then we're leaving because we went to bed that night thinking it was going to be nothing. Really? So that was sort of the, the sentiment at the time being there, just going like, oh, there's storm coming, whatever, going to sleep. And then the next morning was like... Oh, no, we have to get the fuck out was sort of the idea. Yeah. And I know it was like always a possibility it could be bigger. And people are always, you know, logically and outside of the state, you would think, well, just leave your home. Just leave. Just evacuate. But A, where are you going to go? Oh, yeah. You're lucky if you have friends and family somewhere else. And also B, now your home, everything that you fought and worked for, it's not easy to buy a home or an apartment or wherever you live. No. And now all of your stuff, your things, your valuables or your livelihood is just there. And then, you know, people were saying, oh, go into a FEMA camp. Once you go into a FEMA camp, you cannot leave. Right. Oh, yeah. So what, I'm just going to be stuck there forever? No, I I completely understand why people wouldn't want to leave their homes. Huge mistrust of the government. Yeah, and and for just reasons. And also... Oh, they were filled with, um, not black mold, but like some like poison we found out years later. Oh, I don't even know about that part. The FEMA trailers the government tried to put us in and tried to shame us into were filled with poison. Cool. Love that. So, yeah. And also just the idea of if you don't know for sure it's going to be that bad, what you're going to upend your whole life. And then it was just like a little rainstorm and then it passes. Yeah. Because, again, at this juncture, they didn't know how dark and bad it was going to get until right beforehand. And then they were like, oh, fuck. They didn't have plans. So... If you don't know, Category 5 is basically as bad as it can get, which measures that category system measures tropical storms. And Category 5 consists of storms with sustained winds of at least 157 miles per hour. That's fast. That's fast. So, yeah, I mean, whenever this happened, do you are you okay? I don't know if this is extremely traumatizing to you, but like... When you woke up that morning, what was the next thing that happened? Did you pack a bag and then go? Yeah, I packed. I had a backpack full of um, underwear, socks, you know, things that like, because if your feet get wet and you need another pair of underwear, you could also get really sick, right? I know that from Forrest Gump. There you go. Yep. Yes, socks or whatever he says. Yeah. And um, I packed a painting I did because I was super proud of it. And you still have it, don't you? I still have it. 
and a little kitten I found in the bushes that its mother abandoned, which I found out later. The mother abandoned it for a reason because it had brain damage. Um, but anyways, Aww. I brought it with me. I know. That's but nice, though. It was sweet. I was also like pretty early on in college and my parents called me because I was in Baton Rouge and they were like, get out of Baton Rouge, come to the woods where they lived, where it was a worse situation. But I guess they wanted me with them. They just wanted to like have you. Yeah. Because yeah. it was the time when we talked about this a little beforehand, but there were cell phones, but it wasn't the way we can just call. You can't FaceTime. No. There was barely texting. Barely texting. I don't even think we had, like, my phone didn't even have a texting thing. You just called. I think I think it was, what like, the time. Remember all those old phones you could do, like, the numbers? You go, like, A, B, C was one. Yes. Like, yeah. you could technically text, but nobody did because they weren't really set up for that. No. Yeah. But, yeah, they called me in, and then I'm, like, in the woods, and then, you know, for a few days, and then that morning, they were, like, get up, pack the thing. And then we went a little bit further inland to like an aunt and uncle's house. We were there for a couple days. They didn't like the cat because they hated this wild animal in their house. And I remember the storm was flying through. It was just a little kid, wasn't it? Yeah, but they were like, you get my drunk aunt. She's like, Uh, you get that cat out of this house. Throw it in the wind. No. I didn't. I held on to her. That's nice. I remember the eye of the storm passed and it was like quiet. And it was like eerie quiet. Scary. My family started singing and then they were like talking about all the stuff they had to get off their chest. And they're oh like, my God. they're much older. So it was just like their own problems and just like, you never called me when I was about to sick. Wow. And it was just, I was just sitting back, like holding this little kitten, like freaked out. And you were the only young person there, essentially. The only young person there. Wow. And so the day after the storm, my parents were like, we want to see what our house looks like. So we drove as far as we could get and it was about a mile away. Would you say you were at your family's house for like one day one night yeah for like one or maybe two nights because that was basically yeah, one night one night that basically happened over the course of 36 hours or so when the worst of it hit right yeah. it was like all of the worst damage came pretty fast it came pretty fast i know we left like as soon as the storm ended so maybe one or two i'm sorry i'm a little like not uh-huh. so we're there and we park about a mile away from the house and we have to like crawl through all of these limbs that are downed, you know, because yeah. the storm is not going to be a perfect road. And ours it was already in the woods anyway. So we have to like, I remember having to like crawl over and under and out and around. And then we finally get to the house. It's been magically saved from any kind of limbs. Oh, so it's nice. like, uh, like there, you know? And so we're there, but there's no running water. There's no air conditioning. It's fucking hot. Yeah. There's no radio. We don't know anything. There's like standing pools of water and the mosquitoes were so bad. Oh God, I can't even imagine. They were so bad. You're just like screaming at each other. And I remember like we, I saw a helicopter go over and I was like waving my hands in the air and then it just like went really low. I could tell they saw me and they, it, the helicopter just kept going. Ugh. And then I just felt my like love for America just kind of like slip through my fingers. <laughs> Not that I don't love living here, but no, I get it. Because I came from Saudi Arabia and I was just like, oh, I love being in America. And then mm-hmm. just watching that helicopter fly over us. And they saw us and yeah. then nothing happened. And I was just like, oh, so you don't give a fuck about me. Yeah. You don't care. Right. And then these two guys, I know I'm talking a lot, but this is no, this is we, I want to hear. One of the reasons why my parents said you have to leave, like leave the woods. So and- they basically you guys were in your house. There was really no way to know even what's going on, like zombie apocalypse no style. Idea. And they were like, you got to go to the city. Yeah, get back to the city because we were there for a few days, just kind of like this sort of we don't know what's going on. And Do you have water. We had, they had some like jugs of water. And if you wanted to get more water, you had to go stand in line. A big reason why I, I can't stand in line right now is because if you wanted to get a jug, you had to like stand, wait an hour in line and come back. I remember my dad, my dad did it and he was just like, I'm never, Ugh. I don't ever want to do that again. And they were on megaphones being like, why don't you go to the FEMA camps? Like shaming us for not Ugh. going. And, um, but part of the reason they were like, leave now, leave the woods is these two dudes showed up on our property and then, my dad comes out on the, and at the time I didn't know why he was doing this, but he comes out with a shotgun and me. He's like, yeah. Amber, follow me on the front porch. And I was like, why? And so we see these two guys and like people would come on our lawn yeah. occasionally and I would do it. And they just wanted to trade, like trade some food for water, trade whatever. Yeah. But these two dads come on and I remember looking at them and they looked like I've never seen them before. Yeah. You know, just like real forest, foresty men. 
And my dad said, how can I help you boys? And they looked at the gun and they said, nothing. And they w turned around. Ugh. And it's like, if he didn't have, and we can talk about gun rights another time, but if he didn't have that and yeah. these men came on the, God knows what they would have done. Oh yeah. Totally. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. No, I think a lot, most people are not completely like, we know guns are here now, but yeah, yeah. it's good to have. If you're responsible out, people yes. who know how to handle a gun, have a gun. And if you're way out in the woods, like good luck calling the police, especially sure. then. So they were like, you have to, Amber, get out, go back to Baton Rouge. And I remember like I put me and this little cat. And again, with phones weren't really, you know, they especially weren't working now. Yeah. So I had to go and like clear some of the roads with by my, hand, by hand, by myself. I think at that point, some of the roads were like kind of cleared by. God, it sounds like the apocalypse. By the people, like in the in the little forest place, you yeah. know, in the little like dirt roads. Some of the roads were cut so they could get to their things, but I still had to get out and like clear branches, clear stuff. And then I had a little pocket knife on me, and it was just like waiting for a man you know, to come out of the woods and get me. And Ugh. I would like run back in the car and then drive. And then, oh my God, there's a limb and I'd move there real quick and get back in the car. And I made it to Baton Rouge. And my friend, I was like, knocked on his doors. My friend, Gordon, thank you, Gordon. And I, he was just like, yeah, you can stay with me. He's a nice little Southern gay man. Aww. And I slept with a knife in my hand and the kitten in the other. And, then, <laughs> and I called my parents like a few days later just because I was like scared and nervous. And they, they didn't get cell phone service but they saw i called so they had to like drive way out also did the same thing with clearing shit and then they were like why did you call but i'm mad at you calling but i'm glad that you did i'm glad you're safe don't yeah. call again you know yeah no totally but yeah it's that at that, that time there was no other real way for you to get a hold of you didn't know it was if your parents were okay or not you know no. you just got to do what you got to do i was scared i was just yeah. clearing leaves by myself like hoping i didn't get raped yeah you know and any kind of any kind of crisis or new law take like opposed planned women are the first in the forefront to get fucked over uh i don't know what you're talking about we clearly are doing great <laughs> um yeah so wow that's whew. That's that's wild. Yeah, I'm sorry I couldn't remember if it was like a day or two at my oh, aunt no, and uncle's house. I was mostly asking just because I trying to gauge like it seems like these crisis things happen so quickly that it was like over two days the entire it seemed like just the like the infrastructure just collapsed on itself. Yes. And time is definitely like you kind of don't remember yeah. if it was was I in the woods for a week? Right. For three days? Yeah. You know, because totally. there's no clocks, you yeah. know, nothing works. Yeah. It just yeah, exactly. You're, you're not like on a schedule. You're just like, no. I guess we're here. You're just living <laughs> off of fear. Yeah. So that's my monologue. Thank you very no, much. No, it's really interesting. As you, the things that you were just mentioning, there's a lot of criticism around the state and the country's preparation for this storm, both long term plans and immediately prior to the emergency happening. It seems as though there wasn't a ton of advanced warning, like we said, no. that was going to pick up strength like that. But especially people living in the Ninth Ward, primarily black people, mm -hmm. they weren't given an out. They weren't helped at all. To this day, a lot of that stuff is yeah. trashed. Yeah. And, and they they basically got the you got to get out right now or you're going to yeah, or you can get into this building. And where are they going to go? Well, yeah, and that was a huge, that's a huge problem that we we see from the aftermath of this. Places still aren't built up. I was driving around New Orleans a few years ago, and this is like 10 years after Katrina, and yep. the, the GPS said, turn left. And I looked to the left, and it's just like, the Katrina destroyed this road. Yeah, and they just kind of haven't touched it yet. They haven't touched it. And how much money has the local politicians received for Katrina of help? Uh, God knows, God knows I mean, how much. The corruption, I'm sure, is just off the charts. It's all embezzled. Yeah, probably. I did when we were there last time. I did go drive over to the Six Flags because I just, I love an abandoned amusement park. And that still is there. The majority of that park, which was destroyed Ooh. in Katrina, they just sort of left it to rot because they didn't know what else to do. Damn. So it's still just sitting there. My friends and I, we wanted to walk through these abandoned wealthy people parts of town. And they were like, we can go walk around. And they had a number on the door. It was a number and a slash and another number. And I forget, it was like people in the house and pets in the house or whatever. Yeah. They were all abandoned. So you could just walk through these like mansions. Wow. And they were like soggy and rotten. Oof. Stuff was like looted and taken. And you're just like, this is crazy, man. I don't know whether I want to get out of here or like keep looking. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Like, I kind of want to see what else is in here. Not yeah. to loot just because I really like abandoned things. Yeah. But 
And if you go to New Orleans now, like as a tourist, like I've gone, you don't know that. If you were to just go in the middle, you would just go like, oh, this is a tourist town. It's beautiful. But it, it sounds like all of the places where people actually lived in New Orleans still haven't really been completely fixed. No. And so even though they didn't have a lot of advance warning for the storm going this way, they still didn't have emergencies in the case of that happening, even though New Orleans was in such a dangerous, precarious spot. They didn't have anything into place that would say, well, what if we don't know a storm's going to be that bad that quickly? The National Hurricane Center issued a severe warning that the hurricane wasn't going on the predicted path about 24 hours before the worst damage was to happen, basically. And they basically just said, like, hey, everybody's super fucked. Um, you're going to be probably a lot of you going to die. Yeah, there was no, um, like, help. No th- help. Not really. So one of the main things that was really troubling to everyone, including the government, who didn't have the plans in place, was that the levees which are constructed around the edge of the city, of course. If you're against the ocean, you have to have some sort of, especially that low. I mean, the city's below sea level. So they had, you know, levees that were supposed to withstand 23 feet of water coming in. The storm surge was predicting to occur from Katrina was at 28 feet. That's fucking tall water. And it didn't even get that high and the damage was still that bad. Mm. Can you imagine? Jesus Christ. I can't imagine the feeling as a resident in that part of uh, New Orleans knowing that you were pretty much completely at the mercy of nature. It must have felt like being on the Titanic. Like your house, you've just been told your house is going to be underwater and we don't really have an exit plan for you. So I don't know what to tell you. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. There were people found in their attics with a hatchet in their hand and like hatchet wounds on the on the Ugh. attic because they were trying to hack up as the water was coming God, up. That's so scary and awful. Oh, God. And, you know, after all was said and done, over 1,800 deaths were attributed to Katrina. The that's number what we know of. The, and that number also jumps and varies. Sometimes it says just in Louisiana. Sometimes it says that includes the people in Mississippi. It was a much bigger number in Louisiana. It was like the vast, vast majority was Louisiana people. And there were many, many more that occurred from the aftermath, you know, resulting health issues, suicide, destitution, et cetera, that we can't really track specifically because it didn't happen in those, that moment. So you can't necessarily say we have to track every death afterwards and see if it was Katrina related. Yeah. But a lot of them were. Even the graves, because some people are buried underground. A lot of people, were, how they were buried, the water came and it just took them. Yeah. And so there's just graves. I think a lot of the government was like, oh, I guess that grave goes there. And that one goes there. Yeah. I mean, they also just the We'll get into the we'll get into this. But like all natural disasters, there were and remain to be a number of missing and unaccounted for people from Katrina 17 years ago. In the immediate aftermath, there was just, I mean, thousands of unaccounted for people. For one thing, this was the city's first mandatory evacuation in history right before the storm hit. So the mayor called for a mandatory evacuation. That's never happened there before, but it was one of those things where you can't force people out at gunpoint, but they tried to, yeah, essentially. So for a time, there were buses provided by the city for people to get on vans, buses. They use school buses and stuff to try to get people out of the low-lying areas, like literally within that 24-hour period when they were just like, oh, this city is going to be underwater. Yeah. Pack your shit. 
And like people there naturally have a distrust in the government. So someone's coming to your house with a gun saying, come get on this bus. Fuck you. I'm staying here. Yeah. And, and you know, I think there was that. But the other side is knowing that they could tell the, the water was coming in. And, and so some people just jumped on. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. But there were many people who decided to stick it out and stay. So the buses and the vans and stuff, they were people were being sort of herded onto them. Again, I keep having these visions of the Titanic where like, you know, they're shoving people onto rescue boats and they're they're ill prepared for it. Just like in the movie, the Titanic, they didn't have enough boats for the people. I'm so sorry. I know Katrina was real and I I just I don't have any actual real life like personal reference. So that's what I keep thinking of. That's okay. You're trying to connect the dots. It's fine. And you're, you're right. There were people that would get on little tiny boats and kayaks and then go paddle back to their apartments or their houses to retrieve Pictures of their family. Yeah. Cash. Jewels. Good time to know how to operate a boat. Yeah. That's for sure. So a lot of times when these people were getting herded onto these buses and transportation, there wasn't space for the entire family, you know, for them to all get on one bus or for, you know, they're driving them to a location. There's like specific amount of people who could go. So many children ended up being separated from their families because this was a 24 hour situation. Yeah, we got to go. And I can't even imagine how hard that would be as a caregiver knowing like, I have to get my kid on a thing. The kid can't come with me, but they have to get out and then just like hoping for the best. Just put them on a bus and just like stay calm, stay safe. Yeah. Here's a sandwich. Yeah. I mean, essentially. So for example, there's one child who's now an adult named Calvin Hayes. He talked about how when his grandmother, who was his guardian, was trying to figure out how to get him out safely she discovered the van that she could get on didn't have room for him. So she had to make a plan with the then six-year-old's former preschool teacher to take him with her to Texas to stay with her family. But she was not going to Texas. I believe she was going to Georgia. So technically, Calvin was safe and cared for at the time, but they're just, you know, they're I doubt that either he or the, the older woman had cell phones at all no. in 2005. 2005 computers were still the size of a Buick. Yeah. Not a Buick, but like, you know, like a like a large dog. I had a MySpace and I that was the year I just joined Facebook. But that was like what kids were doing. It wasn't everybody was on social networks. No. So interestingly, this is the time period when texting became more commonplace because of Katrina and these sort of things where – when people were calling, you couldn't get through. The lines were all jacked. So it took way less bandwidth to text. And so people started to do texting during the situation. And now we all do it all the time. I hate talking on a phone. Now I hate it. So this story, by the way, is from a, a website called missingkids.org. So this was a kid who ended up being okay. This was the the best case scenario for this for this situation. So six years old, separated from your mother. That's grandmother, yes, grandma. guardian. Terrifying. Yeah. Totally so, different states too. And there's no, yeah, there's no texting. Yeah. So for them, very fortunately, he was with a trusted teacher. The teacher cared for him. And about a week afterwards, basically the the rescue forces that were trying to relocate people the grandmother had to call into like this organization that they put signs up being like you missing a kid call here that she would like leave a tip about i think they might be in this city or they might be here and then they would go to that city and find him and then eventually relocated them together that's the best case scenario During the aftermath of Katrina, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children helped resolve over 5,000 missing child cases of children displaced because of the storm. And that's who they could help. Imagine how many people they they couldn't. I don't know where your mom is. Correct. Yeah. So a lot of these kids like Calvin just sort of went about their day, you know, until somebody would retrieve them and take them back to their families. But not all the kids or adults, for that matter, had that same conclusion. There is a lot of gossip and rumor about what happened in the Superdome. Right. I never went to the Superdome. I hear it was just hell on earth. Well, I think yes and no, because I do imagine it was quite awful. And there are two recorded deaths, and I believe a couple assaults happened, which is, of course, not okay in itself. But reports were grossly exaggerated by the news, and and it seems like there was a corrupt reason for that. But because of the chaos and the family displacement that happened because of Katrina, there were laws changed and new policies put in place to attempt 
to prevent that level of disaster happening again. But the way that it was described that it was the citizens just like raping and killing everyone, like, you know, putting them together in the Superdome and it was just like, oh, they're all fucking crazy. It wasn't really like that. But we'll get into probably next episode why that was sort of being thrown out there into the media. So at the time of Katrina, there were roughly 2,000 kids in foster care who lived in the path of the storm in Louisiana. And two weeks after the storm, state workers had lost track of an estimated 25% of these foster children. A month after Katrina, 158 remained unaccounted for, state officials said, according to an NPR report. So these are some of the kids who would certainly not have the same, you know, ending as Calvin, because just like any other missing case, if you don't have a team of people advocating for you, you just sort of disappear and it's not okay. No, you know, there's a lot of places you can go missing. Yeah. So you get shipped to Alabama. Say you got shipped to Georgia, Tennessee. I mean, there's, there's a lot of places you can just go and never be seen from again. Yeah. So because of all of this stuff happening in 2006, it became federal law that all states maintain written disaster plans for children in the foster care system because of Katrina. It took it. Well, I guess because they never thought it would happen. And then it happens. You're like, oh, shit. I guess we got to write that in the law. Yeah. And I'm going to go ahead and say they shouldn't have had to have gone. What if a storm happened? Oh, man, a storm. Oh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> this seems fucked up. These children were sort of sacrificed at the altar of learning. I don't know if it was negligence. I don't know if it was literally just we didn't prepare and we didn't know how to do it. But moving forward, it seems like these kids were sort of sacrificed for the other future kids. In all the literature also that around Katrina, the number 135 comes up over and over again in more recent articles. 135 people still reported missing. 135, 135. There was a lot of retrospective pieces done in 2015 at the 10-year anniversary of Katrina, but that number is what they basically say about the missing people. There's no mention of who they are, who has records of their names, how many are children. They don't have it. And a lot of the articles are like focused on the dead, which I understand, but I find it a little haunting and sad that there are still these missing people and we don't even know... I have yet to come across a single database of these people's names. Are they even counting also the prisoners that they left behind? Because I don't think that this 135 even counts all of the the people that they abandoned in the jails. Again, sorry to make a Titanic reference, but they did it exactly (laughs) like when Jack was uh, handcuffed there and the water was coming up. They just bailed on people in in the prisons who were just left with water filling up their jail cells. They just left them locked. And nursing homes, just leave them on the beds. Yeah. So I don't know how much we can really rely on the 135 number. I think it's a lot higher. That's probably like, you know, when something happens in the news and you look it up and like every single, like you go to Daily Mail, it's the same story. You go to The Sun, it's Daily Same. It's just like one reporter finds the thing and then every other news outlet is just like, all right, let's just run it. Yep. Same story. It's like lazy journalism. We see it all the time with missing cases looking looking into these. You're just like, oh, they just copy pasted. Yeah. There's nothing. Like, I don't. So, yeah, I think that's exactly what it was, that there's just one person wrote that. And then I could never even find sources for where that number originally came from. All of the websites connected to Katrina are really untouched in like over 10 years. And so, yeah, the body count is probably way off as well because, you know, there wasn't an accurate number of how many people were in Louisiana at the time of the storm. The aftermath of it sounds just nightmare fuel inducing, like trying to recover these like physically traumatized bodies and the mess of the aftermath of the city. The stories I've been reading are just, I mean, like, you know, there were just bodies in the streets that they would just cover with a tarp and put like bricks over and then put a cross on it and hope that somebody was from the government was going to come in and take the body away. But it seems to be of little interest to those who remain missing, even though, as we'll probably get into next episode, it changed a lot of laws for the future, but not really to help 
the ones who are there yes, like, missing. Look at the people here. Let's work here right now. Can we also do this? Could we also maybe do that? I don't know. So many of those missing are probably at this point deceased because a lot of them potentially got, you know, got swept away in the ocean. But my interest lies in those who fell through the cracks. You know, I've looked through social media for a website dedicated to any of this, and there doesn't seem to be one. And it would be, you know, logical to me to think that some of those people were trafficked who are still actively missing, including kids. So some of those kids would very easily be alive, even adult. I mean, it was, wasn't yeah. that long ago. The adults who, who could have been trafficked would also be alive. Yeah. Oh, you ship them on a bus to Texas? Okay, cool. Now this kid's here in Texas with no parent supervision? Great. Yeah. I could just see people licking their lips at that. Yeah. And we're going to go into next episode about what trafficking looks like for the aftermath of a natural disaster. Because there is a formula. It is sadly a big part of disaster uh, yeah. relief is trying to fight off human trafficking. And that's something that the government hasn't really focused enough on. And especially not before Katrina. Katrina was a big factor in seeing a lot of fucking terrible shit that we're doing as a country. Yeah. After the storm, just as scary as the storm itself. When I had that knife in my hand, it was just clearing branches so my car could drive through. Terrifying. When you were in Baton Rouge, how long did you stay there? I went to college there. So you basically, like, were the schools operating right afterwards? I, you know, I don't, like, have a huge, I think, no. Yeah. I don't, like, have, like, because it was a while ago. I think we were all just kind of like, you okay? You okay? You okay? Yeah. We went to school, back to school as soon as we could. Right. But I don't think it was, like, the next day. Yeah. It was, it, they took a little while, you know. I read a lot of articles that said that, a lot of the kids who were evacuated didn't even go to school that whole year because they were displaced. And so even yeah. if they were accounted for and with their families, there was a lot of talk about, too, the displaced people from New Orleans were not welcomed in a lot of the other local towns. Oh, yeah. And so the kids were in danger and the parents would keep them home because people hated them being there. Yeah, they're like these kids from New Orleans. What are they doing here? Yeah, get them the fuck out. Like, And so they, a lot of those kids missed an entire grade of school because of that storm. Damn. I think it's probably that the, the Tulane probably had more of a um, talking point about that, about the kids being misplaced from their school. But I think because I went to LSU, that's in Baton Rouge, there was a couple, you know, kids, but it, mostly it was just like people around that area. Yeah. And you were at least out of high school at the time. Yeah. Which I'm glad for because it seems like it would have been just terrible to be a minor kid trying to go to school during this fucking time. I can't but imagine. No. Do, do you remember like how long until your parents, like the roads were cleared and it was seemed like your parents were in the, uh, the powers back on for your, your family and everything? Do you have any memory of that? I'm, I know not it was a really. long time ago. Yeah, uh, not really. I think they, because, um, you know, remember they were like mad slash happy that I called. And then, you know, when the power came back on, it was a lot of like, because they had to like, they had a lot of work to do clearing the, the yard mm -hmm. and like those pools of mosquitoes. There's a lot of like, when the water sits, you can get really sick. Oh, yeah. So they had to deal with all of that. I think they were just happy I was safe and they were almost like, don't come back home for a while. Yeah. Because you're going to get sick if you come here. Yeah. And as terrible as your family's experience was, you were technically like privileged in that, not that you were privileged. No, it's but not as bad as other people. You were a white person with a house that didn't get destroyed yeah. and that was awful. And so like the people who weren't in that situation, their lives were kind of ruined. Yeah. So yeah, we're going to stop here, but next week we're going to get more into the trafficking side of it. And um, also some other things going on in Louisiana that we are not loving beyond natural disasters. But I thought this was an important one to talk about because I had not thought about the dangers of that part of natural disaster recovery relief before so yeah we'll be back next week with more Louisiana. was that a flawless accent louisiana Louisiana, and it's at nowlands nowlands <laughs> you're almost there <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna be a local one day you see i'm natalie jean you can follow me at the natty jean you can follow the show at someplace underneath i'm amber smelson all across the social media board and uh you will find us natalie and amber saucy pert and greasy as always Hey, what's my house now?
This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Your teams are buried in manual work, tasks are taking forever to complete, and getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, then you should know these three numbers, 37,000. That's the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One. Because your business is one of a kind. Get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. With NetSuite, it's everything you need to grow, all in one place. Get your business back to the greatness where it belongs. Learn more at netsuite.com slash podcast 25.